Go ahead and get your Bibles open to Psalms chapter 119. Psalm 119. We are beginning a journey today as a church family through the entire Bible in 2021. Uh, of course, we're not preaching the whole Bible verse by verse in 2021. That would take us 10 years. But our goal is to, by the end of the year, have the entire story of the Bible preached and taught. And also have a goal for us as a church family to read the entire Bible together. Now, a lot of people, even believers, they, they find the Bible intimidating. Uh, a lot of it, if we're honest, is hard to understand. A lot of it, you get to, you know, Chronicles where there's, you know, seven chapters of names. And you're like, I know Timothy says, you know, all scripture is profitable, but I don't know what this profits me. And so you get intimidated, you don't want to do it. And so we, we find the Bible hard to get through. Uh, sometimes we tend to look at the Bible as a terms and conditions page. How many of y'all, when you update your software or you get a new phone or a new computer, you read the actual terms and conditions page? Nobody does. You don't know what they're saying, but you just scroll down, hit accept, and, and go on with it. Because you figure if there's something really important in there, like Apple says you must give us the blood of your firstborn, someone will figure it out and tell you. And so that's kind of how we read the Bible. It's like, I'm not going to read the whole thing. If there's something important in there, somebody will tell me. Somebody will let me figure it out. And, you know, a lot of times at the first of the year, uh, a lot of believers make a, a, a resolution to read the Bible, more of the Bible. Sometimes people say, I'm going to read the whole Bible through in a year. How many of y'all have... <clears throat> from maybe once, maybe twice, maybe a hundred times, you've read the entire Bible through cover to cover in a year. All right, a couple of us. You know why the rest of us don't? Because come February, we get to those begattings. We get to those laws and those weave offerings and wave offerings, and we say, you know what? I just don't understand this. And it's not that we give up completely on the Bible. We just kind of revert to what we know. We go back to the Psalms and the Proverbs and, and the Gospels. And we may even be faithful every day to read our Bible with the Bible devotional we have, but we don't read the entire Bible. We just read bits and pieces of it that kind of speak to us. This year, I want to change all of that for us. I want to spend the entire year going through the scriptures, going through the entire story of the Bible. There's a couple things I want to accomplish as we do this. As we go through the Bible, there's a few things as a church family I want to accomplish in your life and in my life. Because I'll be honest with you, I have read the Bible through cover to cover in a year. I don't remember what I got out of it. I did it to say I did it. And that's about it. So it's not like, I'm, you know, I know people who did it every year. I know, I've known preachers who have memorized, you know, huge portions of scripture and they try to do it every year. And some guys try to memorize the whole Bible. I don't, they're crazy. Uh, I, I don't need to memorize it. I got it right there. So I can just go to it if I need to. Uh, but, you know, so I'm not, I'm not like, I'm sitting here saying I'm the best Bible reader. I read those scriptures through every year and I know it cover to cover. I can say I've read the whole thing. What did I get out of it? I don't know. But I want to change that. I want us this year, as we go through the Bible, I want us to see the whole story of the Bible. 
The Bible is made up of 66 books. These 66 books were penned by at least, we don't really know the exact number, but at least 40 different human authors on four different continents over a 1,200-year period. So a lot of times we can look and say, oh, well, this is just a, a bunch of books together about God. Now, there are several genres of writing in the Bible. There's, there's history, there's poetry, there's prophecy, there's wisdom literature, there's laws, there's apocalyptic literature, there's gospels, and there's letters. So it's made up of a lot of different genres of writing. There are over 3,200 characters named in the Bible. There are 31 Zacharias. 31 different Zacharias are named in Scripture. But through all of these books, through all of these genres, through all of these characters, and, and all of these authors, there is one story being told. It is the story of God's incredible love for you. How he created everything to be with you. How when humanity ruined it, we destroyed everything, we broke everything, we messed up everything. How God set in motion a plan to redeem you to him. To restore that broken fellowship so he could spend eternity with you. It is an incredible love story. The second thing I want to accomplish through this study is I want us to see how God, because of his love for us, because of this incredible sweeping story, how God wants us to live our lives in light of the story of the Bible. The Bible contains 1,633 commands, but I don't want you to see it as a rule book. It's not a rule book that we have to obey to keep God happy and to make sure God doesn't smite us with lightning from heaven. It is a, a life, it is a book that gives us principles from God that if we obey them and we follow them and we apply them to our lives, we will live a life that is full of the joy of God. Not free of trials, not free of pain. I'm not saying if you read the Bible through this year, you'll have no more trouble. You probably will. You read the Bible and you try to actually apply the Bible, I guarantee you, you are going to have problems. The enemy is going to attack you. But if we still obey the scriptures and live what the scriptures tell us to live, even though we're suffering and having trouble and having persecution and having an attack, we will live a life that is full of the joy of God. If you allow it to, the Bible will completely change your life. If you allow it to, the Bible will completely change your marriage. It will change your view of yourself. It will change your self-worth. It will change how you view your purpose in life. It'll, it'll change how you handle hard times, how you handle hurt, how you handle bitterness. It'll change how you offer forgiveness. This study 
can help you not only know the story of the Bible, but see yourself in the story and how God wants you to live because of it. There's a couple of resources that I'm, I've made available to you or I want you to get to help you as we go through this series. The first one we're going to put on the screen here, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, this is a children's book. I understand that. And you're like, why do I want to read a kid's book? Because it's a good kid's book. Uh, it is a, yes, it is a children's book, but this, this book explains the story of the Bible in an incredible way. And if you have kids, I really want you to get it. Because the, your children in children's church are going to be going through this study. They're going to be going through the Jesus Storybook Bible for the entire year. And look, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Christ, uh, ChristianBook.com for about $12 to $14. You can get it on Kindle for like 9 bucks. I have it on Kindle. So you can download the Kindle edition. You can, and here's what I want you to do. One story in this book every week. That's it. As a family, gather together and just spend 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes reading one of these stories. If you don't have kids, you and just you and your family, what, you know, if it's your older kids or if it's you and your wife, get together and read one story. Wait, well, I'll feel silly. You'll, you're, no, you're trying to know God. Now, look, this isn't the only thing I want you to read, but I want you to get this. I want you to read this. I want you to have this as a resource and just one story a week read through the Jesus Storybook Bible. Secondly, I have two Bible reading plans for you. The first one is right here. It is the chronological Bible reading plan. It's in the foyer. Uh, it's not folded like this. I just folded it to put in my Bible. But it's, it's, just, this in, it's in the foyer. This is the entire Bible. Every verse, every word, every jot, every tittle in chronological order. So you're not going to read it in the traditional order. Uh, for instance, uh, you're, you're already behind, but you can catch up. Uh, January, you're, uh, the third, you know, first, second, and third, you're reading Genesis. Then today, you know, tomorrow, you start in Job. And so it kind of, it, it's a little bit different order, kind of keeps it fresh and helps you get through it. And so you can, you can pick this up in the foyer, and you can read through the entire Bible in a year. Or, and here's what I suggest, you can join us on version. Uh, the YouVersion app, if you don't have it, is an incredible app. It's full of devotionals. It's full of resources. But it's, it's got the, uh, some Bible plans on there. And we've posted these Bible plans on our Facebook page. You can join us. One of them is the chronological order of the Bible through the entire Bible in a year. Uh, you can join us on there. Uh, you can go through it every single day. What I like about this is we're doing the Bible... Uh, project version of it. So every couple days, every week or so, every new section of scripture, there's a devotional video that really explains the Bible to you. We use the same thing as we did last year when we went the New Testament in a year. And so you can, you can join this, this Bible reading program with us. You can go through it every day. You have a devotion, watch the video, and then read the scriptures. The good thing about the version app is you can actually have the Bible read to you. So you can, you know, kind of, it helps you stay focused. I don't, now don't just put it on, let it play and go away. You know, pay attention. Don't have it going while you're on Facebook. Actually pay attention to it. But it, it'll read it to you. And if you allow this book, this to read it to you, in about 15 minutes a day, you will have read the Bible through in the entire year. 
Now, some days will be longer because you got those, you know, seven, eight-minute devotional videos, but they're going to help you understand Scripture. They're going to help you put Scripture in context, and you can read through the whole thing. We've also got the Old Testament in a year. We just finished the New Testament in a year. We were also doing the Old Testament in a year uh, on version. You can join that as well. Or if you're like, I just, reading the whole Bible sounds like a lot. I have this one for you, and this is only in the foyer. This is the whole story Bible reading plan. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, you've probably already thought it with the whole Bible in a year. You know, we're already on January 3rd. You're already behind. This one starts January 4th. So you're not behind yet. This one, you are not reading all the Bible. You're not reading every verse, but you're getting the whole story of the Bible. It's still a lot of reading, but it's about, it's, it's one or two chapters a day. Uh, and it only does Monday through Saturday. So uh, Sunday, you have a day off to come to church and listen to the Bible being preached to you. But, you know, six days a week, you read one or two chapters a day. It skips you around and keeps the Bible fresh. And it'll keep you kind of in line with how we're, what we're preaching through uh, from the pulpit. But you'll get the whole story of the Bible, not the whole Bible itself, but the whole story of the Bible. And it'll probably be a lot more Bible reading than most of us has done every year. So those are our two options for you. You've got the whole Bible, actually three. You've got the whole Bible, uh, verse, every verse. You've got the whole story, or you can just do the Old Testament in a year. There's no shame in saying, I can't do the whole Bible, but I, I could probably do the, New Testament, the Old Testament. Or I can't do the whole Bible, but I could do the whole story. The point isn't to see who's the best Christian and who's going to read the most Scripture. The point is to get you in the habit of reading the Bible every single day, to get in the habit of filling your life with the Word of God. You say, well, well, pastor, which one are you going to do? I'm going to do all of them, but not because I'm trying to prove a point or not because I am the best Bible. Because look, 2020, my life was filled with hurt, anxiety, fear, it was filled with a lot of trouble, a lot of turmoil. It was filled with a lot of garbage. 2021, I want to fill my life with the Word of God. And so I'm going to read as much as I've got a personal plan I'm doing through the entire Bible in 90 days. Why? Because I'm an idiot, but I want to just fill my life with the Word of God. Well, you're going to end up reading several scriptures four or five times. So what? Nobody has ever died by reading too much Bible. You are not going to... And look... You can turn off your Netflix for a while. You can turn off your YouTube for a while. Just 10, 15 minutes a day. Say, I'm going to give myself to reading the Word of God. Now, so pick a Bible reading plan. Find something to help you read the Bible this year. Now, if you don't have a consistent Bible reading habit, this will help you establish it. Again, if you don't have a consistent Bible reading habit, pick up the, the, the whole story. One or two chapters, six days a week, Sunday you get off to listen to me preach and just say, and this will help you establish a consistent, faithful Bible reading habit in your life. And I promise you, it'll be worth it. Spending time in the Word of God is the greatest thing that you can do to invigorate your faith, to, to establish your faith. Look, building your faith is not like building a brick wall. It's not one brick at a time, slowly going through the bricks. Because, look, if you're building a brick wall and you lay, you know, three or four rows of bricks, if you stop building that wall for a while, 
the wall's still there. It's still wherever you left it, and you can come pick it right back up. Building your faith is like building a muscle. It takes work. It takes a lifetime of consistent exercise. And sometimes it's going to hurt. You're going to get sore, and it's going to rebuild. You know, a lot of people this time of year, they, they say, I'm going to get in shape, I'm going to work out more. And, of course, every year, you know, I do the same thing. I'm going to get in shape this year. And then, you know, about, you know, three weeks, and I'm like, you know what? Round's a shape, so mission accomplished. But I figured this year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try. So yesterday, I went out in the yard, and I did some yard work. And I'm talking, like, light yard work. Like, I cut down some canna lilies, made the kids drag them to the street, threw some straw down. My legs hurt. I am way out of shape. But that's what, build, that's what building your faith is. It's a little bit of work. It hurts a little bit more. It hurts. But you have to keep doing it because if you're working out and you're building muscle and you stop building that muscle, you know what happens? That muscle goes away. And you got to rebuild it. And that's what building your faith is like. It takes a consistent lifetime of building that faith. So this morning, as we begin this journey together, I want to look at one of the greatest chapters in the Bible about the Bible. Psalms 119 is one of the greatest love poems ever written. And the Bible, if you realize it or not, is full of love poems. Song of Solomon is nothing but love poems. It's just love letters these two people wrote back and forth to each other. But Psalms 119 is a love poem about the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. This one chapter is longer than 31 books in the Bible. Now, the author of the psalm is not known. <clears throat> it's not stated. We don't know for sure. Most Bible theologians, people who are smarter than me, believe it was Ezra. They believe this poem was written during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. They believe Ezra is the author who penned this book. Uh, now, this, this psalm is very unique. It's comprised of 22 different stanzas. Each stanza starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it goes through the entire Hebrew alphabet, which is just 22 letters. Tradition says that King David used this psalm to teach Solomon the alphabet and also to have a love for God. For centuries, Jewish uh, people would use this psalm in their New Year's celebrations to kind of begin the year with God's blessing. Charles Spurgeon says that every preacher should memorize this entire psalm. So I'm going to quote for you. The, oh, I, wouldn't, I, don't want to be, I want to be humble. I don't want you to know if I did it or not. I don't want to be bragging. So I'm not going to tell you if I have or not, but Charles Spurgeon says that I should have. So let's look at some of the more well-known verses in this psalm, and then we're going to see what this shows us about the Bible. So they're going to throw them on the screen as we go through them. Psalms 119, starting verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Skip down to verse number 14. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. Look at verse number 21. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Skip way down to verse number 72. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Look down at verse number 89. Forever, O Lord, 
thy word is settled in heaven. Look over to verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditations. Look at verse number 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Look down at verse 109. My soul is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget thy law. Down at verse number 111. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Look at verse number 116. Uphold me according to thy word that I may live, and let thy word that I may, and, and with thy word that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Look down at verse number 133. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. And then finally, skip over to uh, verse number 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. So we're going to look at five things that these verses and a bunch of other in, in this psalm, but five things that these verses in the Bible tell us about the Bible. Here's the first thing. Number one, the Bible is revelation from God. The Bible is revelation from God. Throughout this psalm, the writer refers to Scripture as testimonies from God, statutes from God, laws of God, precepts of God, rules or commands and words from God. Nowhere in this psalm or anywhere in the Bible is the Bible talked about enlightened thoughts about God. This is not man's opinion of God. This is not what the psalmist or anyone else said, hey, this is what I think of God. I'm going to write down what I think about God to help people in the future. It is revelation from God to us. When we hold the Bible in our hand, we hold the very words of God himself. They're not teachings about God from man, from good people. They are the, the literal words of God. And that is the, one of the most important things you have to understand of the Bible. If you cannot get your head wrapped around and your heart settled in the fact that the Bible is the word of God from God, you're going to struggle ever trying to believe the Bible. We, the, the culture, our culture, views this as just, you know, good writings about God. Some good principles to live your life so you're, an, you're a moral person, you're an honest person. But that's not what the writer of the psalm, inspired by God, said. When he wrote the psalm, he was writing the very words of God. Again, we don't know who the author is, but if it is Ezra, this wasn't just Ezra saying, man, I love the Bible, I'm going to write what I think about the Bible. This was God telling him what to write down about the Word of God. This is God's love letter to us about God's love letter about us. This is God in the Bible telling us how much he loves the Bible. And so we should love the Bible as well, but it is, it is, it is revelation from God. In Mark 12, Jesus quotes Psalm 110. 
But he doesn't attribute the Psalm David. He attributes to God. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 36. David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So Jesus says, David said this, but David was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's not what David said. It's what God said through David. They aren't David's words. They are God's words for us. The Bible is holy. It is perfect. It is the infallible word of God given to man through human instruments by God to help to have human instruments pin it down. Now, a lot of people, when you talk about that, and you try to explain that, they say, well, how did God keep man's thoughts out of these writings? If God just kind of told them what to write, how did, how did he make sure they, they wrote down what he really said? How, did he, how do we know that they didn't kind of put their own thoughts in there every once in a while? Or how do we know that it, he kept it through, you know, kept it holy throughout the years? How did God speak and create everything? How did God raise himself from the dead? How did God do any of the incredible things we see in Scripture? How was God born of a virgin? Because he's God. And God can do anything. We can't understand it because his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. So we, we would not understand this out of heaven. We may not understand it ever in eternity. It's not our... See, faith isn't understanding everything Faith is believing everything, no matter what. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you can prove it, it doesn't take faith. So we have to, by faith, believe that God gave and God preserved his words for us today. He is God. He can do anything. He can speak us into existence. He can keep his word uncorrupted. Again, in verse number, Psalm 119, verse 89, again, David, the Bible says here, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word always has been, and God's word always will be. We have access to his word through the Bible that he gave to us so we could know him. So the first thing we need to understand is the Bible is the revelation from God. Second thing we need the Bible tells us about the Bible is number two, the Bible is life-giving law. Now look, I know when preachers start talking about law, we get nervous. I do too. When I'm listening to a preacher and he starts talking about the law, I'm like, uh, what's, what's he going to say here? Got it, my ears go up. It's like, okay, is he going to talk about actually the law of God or is he going to start telling me what he thinks I need to do to make God happy or try to tell me that the whole Bible is just a list of things I got to do to make God happy? So I know when we talk about law, people get nervous. The word law used out some Psalms 119, it literally means a straight edge. It refers to something that was used to measure cloth for a tailor or building material for a contractor. Imagine, if you would, if we had no standards of measurement in our clothing. Somebody just made clothes and they said, well, this is size 12, and someone else made something, they said, well, this is size 4, but they're the same. Your clothes would never be the same size. 
You have to know what size you're putting on, so we have standards of measurement. If you didn't have standards of measurement in, in construction, nothing would ever be straight. Nothing would stand up. You've got to have something to go by to say, this is what 12 inches is. This is what three yards is. And so we have to have a standard of measurement. That's what the law is. It's a standard of measurement to help us live a Christ-honoring life. It shows us God's law is the straight edge by which we measure everything in life. God's law tells us what is good and what is bad. God's law tells us what is right and what is wrong. Now, the problem is we as humans, we don't like people telling us what's good and bad. We don't like people telling us what's right and wrong. We want to decide that on our own. And you may be a great person thinking, you know what? I got a pretty good heart. I can decide right and wrong on my own. No one's heart is good. Even if you're a good person, look, some of y'all are the sweetest people I've ever met in your, my life, but your heart ain't that good. The Bible says your heart is wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is more deceitful than all things and desperately wicked. Your heart cannot be trusted. So I'm not going to trust you to tell me what's right and wrong, and you shouldn't trust me to tell you what's right and wrong because my heart is wicked. My heart is deceitful. We have to have something that we can trust to tell us what's right and wrong, and that's what the law of God is. The Word of God tells us which impulses of our flesh, which longings of our heart are good and which are bad. Look again at verse number 105. <clears throat> Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God lights the path of life so we can know for sure that we're on the right path. C.S. Lewis says this. He said that the law of God is like being lost in the wilderness when suddenly you find the right path. You ever been lost in the woods? I never have because I stay on the path. But I know some people get off the path and they, they're adventurous and they're like, I can do, and they get lost and then they, they die. Because, you know, people get in the woods, they get lost, they die all the time. And so I stay on the path. But if you've ever, you know, the, the, if you've ever been lost in the woods, you have to have that path to help you. Going through life is like going through the wilderness. Without knowing the right path, you're going to get lost. The Bible shows you the right path. The Bible shows you the path to stay on to have a Christ-honoring marriage. The Bible shows you the path to stay on to raise your children to love God and find the right path for their life. It shows you the path to stay on to avoid the dangers and the pitfalls of life. It shows you the path to stay on to have a safe and joyful life. Now, the path is narrow but it's not constraining. See, a lot of people look at the, the path that God has for us and the, the laws that God puts forth for us to follow, to stay on the right path and say, man, God's, it's just constraining. The Bible's just, it's all these thou shalt nots. You know, there's really not that many thou shalt nots in the Bible. And the ones that are there, they're pretty good ones. Don't kill. That's just good. 
Don't steal. That's, that's a good advice, too. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't do this. You know, the, the don'ts aren't like, don't enjoy yourself. It's, hey, just don't do these bad things. And that they're not there to constrain us or to limit us or to hurt us. They're there to give us freedom, to protect us. Because you know what? If you disobey the thou shalt not kill law, you know who else has a law like that? It's called the state of Virginia and the federal government. So if you disobey that law and you kill someone and you get caught, guess what you just lost? Your freedom. So it's like, man, the Bible's so constraining. God doesn't want me to murder people. No, God wants you to be safe. God wants you to be free. God wants you to have liberty. And he gives us these laws to protect us. You know, in the Garden of Eden, there was one thou shalt not. There was one rule. God told him, look, if you've been reading Genesis, you just read it. God said, look, the whole world is yours. Every tree. Now, I, I, God did make them all vegans, which I'm glad he finally said, hey, now you can eat meat. But he said, look, all the animals are there for your enjoyment. All the trees and the fruit of the tree, they're all there for you to eat and enjoy. And you're to just have fellowship with each other and fellowship with me and me. The whole world is yours. Just don't touch that. Don't eat from that tree. Because the day you eat of that tree, you're going to understand what sin is. And you're going to, and it doesn't matter really what the reason was. It could have been like the day you eat of that tree, you're going to, you know, grow a clown nose. God said, don't eat it. So don't eat it. But God said, don't eat it, not because that's the best fruit in the world and I want to enjoy it. He goes, don't eat it because the day you do, you're going to die. They didn't die immediately, but God knew the day you do that, everything I've done for you, all this you've enjoyed, it's going to be gone. You're not going to enjoy fellowship with me anymore. You're not going to enjoy fellowship with each other because remember, in the garden, they were naked and unashamed. Again, it has nothing to do with clothes. They just had a perfect fellowship relationship with each other and with God. There was nothing hidden. Then they eat the fruit and poof, what do they do? They hide. They hide themselves from each other. They hide each other. They hide from God. They immediately realize the shame. And God didn't say, don't eat that tree because, man, that's my tree. He says, if you do that, you're going to lose everything. And they did it. And they lost everything. Look at Psalms 119 again. Look at verse number 133. <clears throat> Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Here's what the psalmist is saying. Any part of your life that is not anchored in the word of God is going to be shaky, and it is going to have control over you. Whatever part of your life, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your child rearing, whether it's your entertainment, whatever part of your life is not anchored in the word of God is where the enemy is going to attack you. And that is the part of your life that is going to control you. The word of God protects you. It sustains you. It guides you and it gives you life. It doesn't steal it from you, it protects you. Number three, what the Bible tells us about the Bible is the Bible is God's story, not our story. Look at verse number 27. 
make me understand the way of thy precepts, and so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. The psalmist says, God, I'm going to love your Bible because then I can just brag about how great you are, the great things you've done. doesn't say, God, I'm going to brag about the great things I've done. I'm going to talk about my wondrous works. He says, I'm going to talk about your wondrous works, the great things you have done for and through us. And look at verse number 41. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word, God's mercy, God's deliverance. We often look at the, the Bible and we, you know, talk about, you know, there's, there's heroes in here that we should emulate. You know, dare to be a Daniel. Have the, the courage of David. And we think, man, there's great characters in here that we should emulate and we should try to be like. Or it's a, it's a book of rules to follow. Or we look at it, it's a book of practical advice. I hope this year we stop looking at the Bible like that. Don't look at any of those. It is the, we, but I hope we look at it as the story of someone who came to rescue us because we messed everything up and we couldn't fix it. And he loved us so much that he gave everything to come and fix what we had broken. We have to stop reading the Bible like it's all about us. Yes, you were in there. And yes, I've said before, you can put yourself in the stories of the Bible. You can see yourself in the story of the Bibles. And yes, you can, but it's not about you. It's all about God. The message of the Bible isn't, here's some practical advice to fix your life. The message of the Bible is, fix your eyes on Jesus and everything else looks differently for you. It's not about us. It's all about him. It's not a book of duties we have to do for God. It's a story of God's love for you and what that means for us. Fourth thing this psalm tells us about the Bible is number four, the Bible is more valuable than we realize. Look at verse number 17. I'm sorry, verse number 72. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. The psalmist says that the Bible is more important to him than money, than gold and silver. Look at verse number 109. It says, my soul is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget thy law. He says he holds his life lightly. He goes, everything in my life, I just, I don't cling to. I hold on lightly to it because I want to hold on to the word of God. I cling to the word of God like a life raft. How important is the Bible in your life? How important is the Bible in your family? Look, all right, you parents out there, if there was a predator in your neighborhood... I mean, it could be a lion, a bear, or it can be a sexual predator. There's something or someone in your neighborhood that is looking to hurt your kids. Are you going to let your kids run around with that unsupervised? Of course you wouldn't. That would make you a terrible parent. We would make sure that they would, were protected. The Bible tells us that we have an enemy that is prowling around our family looking to destroy them, and our only hope is the Word of God. 
Our only hope, your family's only hope is the scripture. The only way to defeat the lie of the enemy is with the truth of God. You know, when Satan attacked Jesus, you know how Jesus, how Jesus defended himself? With scripture. Satan came with a lie. Jesus responded with a truth from the word of God. It was by the word of, so what are your kids going to come up with when, you know, Satan attacks them? And I know what we, we like to think, you know, well, Jesus, you know, he's God. He wrote the book. I'm sure he knew the book. Look, the Bible tells us in, in Matthew that Jesus had to grow in knowledge and stature. He didn't, he wasn't born knowing the whole word of God. He was man. It, he, he, again, he limited himself to his access to his godness. So he had to learn the Bible too. Jesus had to go through Awana. He had to memorize scripture. And so when Satan attacked him, he had memorized scripture to retaliate and defend himself. What are your kids going to have when Satan attacks them? What are you going to have when Satan attacks you? We have to have the word of God. The Bible is the most valuable thing that you can possess and is the greatest tool we have to defeat the enemy that is trying to destroy us. It was by the word of God that God created everything. It was by the word of God that Jesus rose from the dead. It was by the word of God that he gave sight to the blind. It is by the word of God in Revelation that Revelation tells us he's going to destroy the works of the enemy and make everything new again one day. It's by the word of God that he's going to free you from addiction. It's by the word of God he's going to piece together your broken life and give you sight to help you make you walk with the path that God has for you. The word of God is light and life and salvation. By the word of God, he redeems us, he reconciles us, he restores us, and he renews us. See, the problem isn't we don't see the value in the Bible. The problem is our life doesn't line up with our beliefs. Imagine for a while, for a minute, that I'm rich. I'm not, I know it's a stretch. I'm like Warren Buffett rich. I'm like Bill Gates rich. I'm like all of them rich. And I come to you and I tell you, I will give you $500 million to never touch the Bible again. Never read it. Never listen to it. Never hear about it preached. Don't get a Bible app to, for the rest of your life to never have any of the word of God in your life ever again. Half a billion dollars. How many of y'all will take me up on that offer? Seriously? You're set for life. Half a billion dollars. You would never have to worry about anything again. But we wouldn't take him up on that. You know what you just said there? And I know you're like, well, yeah, but you can't really do that. You just said that the Bible here is more valuable to you than half a billion dollars. What would you give up for half a billion? Your kids? Some days. I won't ask if you'll give up your spouse because I don't want to have to do marriage counseling later when some guy goes, yeah, me, you know. Your health? Your, I mean, what would you give up? And you just said, the Bible is more valuable to me than half a billion dollars. If it's that valuable to you, why are we not devouring it?
Why do we not know it? Why do we just, oh yeah, it's, it's very important to me. Do we really put that much kind of effort into it? Why do we struggle to read it? The Bible is more valuable. Than the and last thing, number five, the Bible helps you love the Bible. Look at verse number 176 again. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. Now, this is interesting to me because, I mean, 175 verses of just the Bible's great, the Bible's awesome, I love the Word of God, it's like my path, it keeps me clean, it does all those for me, and then the last verse he goes, but I've gone astray. I'm like a lost sheep. Man, the Bible's great, but I don't love it like I should. It's an interesting contradiction, and I see it in my life as well. What the psalmist is saying here is he is double-minded, and he hates it. He loves the Bible, but he loves other things more. Is that where y'all are at? I'm there. Man, I love the Bible, but I like sleep more sometimes. Man, I like the Bible, but I like some rest and relaxation more sometimes. And he's like, I love the Bible, but not as much as I should. So God, help me love it the way I need to love it. Sounds like me. I want to love it more than anything, but my heart is divided. So he asked God, God, I want to love it, but I don't like I should. So help my heart not be divided and focus completely and totally on your word. Bring my heart where it needs to be. He's like us, prone to wander and needing help to stay where we should for our own good. You know why the Bible calls us sheep, the followers of God calls us sheep? Because sheep are stupid. Are you calling me stupid? God did, not me, but yeah. Sheep are dumb. Sheep left to themselves are going to get hurt. They're going to get sick. They're going to get killed. They need the shepherd to keep them where they belong. We need the word of God to keep us where we belong for our own good. For most of us, myself included, the Bible doesn't have the place of preeminence in our lives that it should. We say it does. Lord, I wouldn't take half a billion dollars for this. I'll read it again on Sunday when preacher gets up and says, open your Bible. This is the most valuable thing in my life. And then we forget about it for most of the most of the week. Don't even listen to it. Don't care about it. Just ignore it. It doesn't have the preeminence it should. The Word of God helps us put the Word of God where it needs to be in our lives. Let's make this year the year of the Bible for us. Let's, let's say this year we're going to hate double-mindedness. We're going to change, ask God to change our hearts for his glory to the word of God. Let us ask God to help us make the word of God the prize it is. To make it our most cherished possession. To make the word of God our passion.
Let's seek it this year more than we seek riches. Let's crave it this year more than a drowning man craves oxygen.